are grateful for this opportunity to learn together uh, more about what you're doing in this world, beyond this country, beyond this region. We are grateful uh, to know that your Holy Spirit is active and uh, people are uh, uh, learning to love you and worship you and um, uh, have uh, their relationships with you in all over the place, different places of the world. I pray that you will bless this time and make this time fruitful for all of us. In the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, we pray. Amen. 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 Hi. Hi. So, uh, well, I'm going to just start. I mean, this is uh, just the world, just to imagine the sort of a place, right? So, well, mainly we're going to actually talk about you know, Christianity outside the North America and Europe. So here, these sort of uh, places, and uh, we'll see how much actually I can cover, but uh, just global sort of uh, Christianity, a little bit of a vignette overviews right here and there, and then, you know, we have a missionary sort of there, so please feel free to contribute, yeah? So um, a little bit of some stats, right? So to give us a sort of perspective, so global religions by proportion. So 1910 century ago, right? Uh, so mm -hmm. this is from the 2010. So Christianity about 35 percent, and then China. Look at the Chinese folk religion, right? How significant the proportion that was in the total population of the world. Religion, Hinduism 12.7 percent. Muslim, Islam was 12.6 percent, and then Buddhist, and then different sort of a. Uh, of a spread there, but then after a century, what, what's the most significant sort of difference you see? Uh, yeah, incredibly, right? By 10%, yeah, yeah. Uh, and then Hindu about the same, but what else do you also Chinese see? Yeah, yeah. Chinese religion, really, yeah. And then the growth of agnostics. Right? So there's no agnostic in 1910? Well, I mean, the, if you had, usually had some sort of at least religious affiliation, okay. right? Culturally even, like Europe, right? Or Chinese, this is before sure. the communism in China. So a lot of sort of, uh, you know, people in China or people in India, or I mean, they have some sort of, sort of, uh, even cultural, religious, some sort of affiliation. But with, uh, you know, secularization, particularly in Europe. So a lot of sort of this uh, percentage of agnostics come from the Western Europe, Europe and also to an extent North America, Canada and Australia. That that's region. why the churches are closed in Europe. A lot of, uh, that's unfortunately, that's really the uh, very unfortunate sort of a sad reality uh, in, in China, Europe. Oh, yes, but, but by this time, as Chinese, China has, has been experiencing unprecedented sort of growth in Christianity, mm -hmm. particularly Protestantism. Mm -hmm. Yeah, so... Um, uh, it would be interesting, um, and you have that, mm -hmm. the overlay of, of where these things... Right, are, right, yeah, right, yeah. yeah. So uh, the next sort of a slide sort of shows you. So this is a 1900, as you can see, North America and Europe together was 80% of the all Christian population, mm -hmm. right? And then, then the Global South, what we call the Global South, only actually comprised of 18%. But now what's actually changed? Incredible sort of a change, right? So uh, the Global North, 
It's only actually 33%, right? And so this actually turning of the now majority world uh, now moving to Christianity closer, that started from 2000. And all, it's already been 20 years, yeah. So, and then the Latin America, African, uh, you know, Asia, and Oceania, now that's uh, 67%. And scholars actually project that by 2035, Africa's uh, Christian population will probably reach 700 million. Mm -hmm. And some even actually say Africa is Christianity's future. Mm. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, so what, what kinds of implication does this have, right? Now the situation is really kind of changed. Now, I mean, where should be the mission field? In a sense, right? Right, yeah, yeah, exactly, right. I mean, you, United States about still about 68% Christians, I, at least I self-identify as a sort of Christians in the United States. So uh, United States has the largest number of Christians in the world in single country, right? And also among the industrialized uh, sort of Western society. But that's really, United States is really outlier among the other, all the other Western sort of uh, countries, right? Mm. And then, uh, so um, just for the Christians sort of only, now, this is a really interesting, I don't know whether you can see so some sort of uh, data. So they're looking at the world as hundreds sort of Christians and dividing sort of, uh, uh, trying to understand them a little more in detail. Uh, but I think, of course, we cannot go over all of these. But what's really interesting, the 40% of the Christians are Catholic. So still Catholic is the single largest denomination, if you will, the group of Christians. And then, now this is interesting, Protestant, independent. Independents are Protestants too. Mm -hmm. But in some uh, independents, a lot of sort of uh, independents include African-initiated churches that don't necessarily join the classic sort of Protestant denominations. Or sometimes uh, scholars actually include Pentecostals under in an independence. Pentecostals and Charismatics mm -hmm. and non-denomination. Right, under independence. So these are actually both sort of Protestants, more or less. But you can see the sort of distinction sort of there. Hey. Um, and then what's also interesting is that, so here we already looked at this largest sort of uh, population of Christians live in Africa and then Latin America and then uh, Europe. Europe is a more, more, much more sort of a nominal sort of a link uh, to Christianity, more cultural sort of a link to Christianity. So from here, I mean, so inside there's sort of be some data here and outside language. I mean, it's very different sort of a, again, more the languages, different sort of a population, a popular people sort of a Christian speak. That means the more sort of a globalized, right? Mm. So um, there are more Christians who speak Spanish than of those who speak English. Anything wow. that sort of stand out to you? So 50, 65% urban, 35% rural, and gender equals, this is interesting, so too. 55% of Christians live in low inequality, mm -hmm. so that's interesting, but uh, you know, the, the rest, yeah, about 45%. Mm. Now, now, one thing that's really interesting is that uh, majority of Christians <coughs> in the global world are between, it's uh, from young adult to the full adults, right? Mm. Mm. Yeah. 
Now, if you actually look at, for example, the Muslim sort of say uh, parallel in this, a lot you will be seeing under 15, mm -hmm. which means that their growth, Muslim growth, has a lot to do with natural birth growth. Yeah, yeah. And Christian, Christians, by comparison to Muslims, it's a big generalization, but they, Christians actually have fewer uh, children per household, right? Especially in the Middle East, yeah? Mm. Uh, and compared to Muslim families. So which also has an implication for future sort of uh, growth prospects. So, so scholars actually say by 2060, by 2060, there will be 32% of Christians and 31% of Muslims. Remember? Yeah. So, uh, so almost sort of a neck to neck there. So uh, let's take a look at some specific sort of continents then, right? So this map, Christians in Africa 2020, this, the maps I'm showing you, these are from World Christian Encyclopedia, so published by Gordon Conwell uh, Seminary. So they have a research center on global Christianity. So percentage of Christians by province, so these are central, all sub-Saharan Africa. Mm. Uh, so here is a manifest star, right? Yeah. And uh, darker, the color is the greater sort of a percentage of Christians, right? So this is where Rwanda, you know, the Uganda and Kenya and all these sort of countries are. Now, compare this map with this one. Hmm. This is the poverty rate of a U.S. dollar 90 cents per day. Really absolute poverty rate, right? Uh, at the sub-national level in sub-Saharan Africa. I mean, so do you see, I mean, so you have some up here, but really concentrated right here. So compare this map again with this one. Mm -hmm. Do you see some overlap, significant overlap? Mm. Wait, can you spell it out? <laughs> well, yeah, yeah. So I, I will, yeah, I will spell that out. So, so a lot of countries where Christianity is a vast majority of the population are the same countries that really suffer from the absolute poverty. Mm. Mm. So, which means then, uh, any form of a mission there, right, has to deal with the material aspect, right? deal with the economic, socioeconomic poverty issues, right, as well as the spiritual, relational uh, issues, right? If you don't, I mean, it's, um, yeah, it's, it's really neglecting or kind of dismissing very important part of sort of uh, what it means to be human. Mm. So, right, uh, so, um, so that's why global poverty, particularly poverty in sub-Saharan Africa, is a Christian issue. Mm -hmm. oh. It cannot be simply, oh, you know, the foreign aid or whatever, the UN or, you know, we cannot just think like that. Because vast majority of people who are suffering under very absolute poverty, living under $1.90 a day, are fellow Christians, brothers and sisters in Christ. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. So it's yeah. less about bringing Christ, because Christ is already there. Christ is everywhere, but, but actually
actually caring about our brothers and sisters. Yeah, yeah, and, and actually make a sort of a more explicit sort of relationship, yeah. uh, caring for them in a very tangible sort of physical way is indeed mm-hmm. actually caring for them to an extent spiritually, right? Making yeah. a sort of a link and then uh, uh, supporting sort of a, their small businesses or whatever, you know. So, yeah. uh, you know, I remember having a sort of a, a student sort of a debate. I mean, I, I taught a class in Kenya called uh, Wealth and Poverty in Christian Tradition. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so in Kenya Bible sort of college, students actually, they were all practicing Christian pastors already. They are pastors in churches, and they came to school. I mean, eight o'clock, nine o'clock in the morning, by walking two hours. Yeah, just outside Nairobi, right? And then they have to go back home by walking another sort of a two hours, right? So you, students are taking classes from nine to like one o'clock, and uh, there was a really interesting sort of perspective uh, because. Part of the sort of an issue, particularly in Africa and Latin America, the fastest growing sector or group or the kinds of Christianity is none other than prosperity gospel. Prosperity gospel. Uh, so when I actually critiqued uh, prosperity gospel, some of them were kind of uncomfortable mm. because that's what, I mean, that's, the message of, oh, you can be wealthy one day, mm-hmm. that gives them a sense of hope. Mm-hmm. And the pastors, I mean, all the mega churches in Kenya, mm-hmm. uh, and, that's, uh, and Kenya is the one that I actually know, so I just kind of talk about, talk about Kenya, because I've been there several times and teaching. The, all the mega churches, first top sort of mega churches in Kenya, they're all prosperity gospel uh, churches. Mm-hmm. Mm. And as pastors, style themselves as a model of hope for the rest of the congregants. Mm. Therefore, I mean, they emulate, like, do you know, like, uh, Clifford Dollar, <laughs> Pastor Clifford Dollar, who is a, uh, Clifford Dollar, Preflo, yeah, Preflo, yeah. The, he, who is a prosperity gospel speaker here in the United States. And T.D. Jakes, mm-hmm. Pastor T.D. Oh, Jakes, yeah, yeah he's a, uh, but uh, it's interesting that we're all uh, prosperous, so we shouldn't be too prosperous. Well, I mean, no, no, I was actually very, uh, I think, in my mind, nuanced in my criticism because I did acknowledge, right, prosperity gospel is really popular in the Philippines, in Latin America as a whole, and Africa all over the place. I also taught group of a sort of African theology students in South Korea. They were all there as a sort of a um, so. Uh, a university, uh, Yonsei University in South Korea, sponsored like a 20 uh, African uh, Christian sort of leaders, young African Christian leaders. I had them all the way come to South Korea, and then I was actually teaching the same class, wealth and poverty, right? The hours of wealth and poverty in uh, church, in church history, right? And we had a vigorous sort of a conversations about, because again, the reality is people, what really interests them is this kind of hope. But one day, my life can be completely different. Mm-hmm. And they live for a miracle each day. Mm-hmm. Otherwise, I mean, there's, now I don't know or whether you know this, but there are really famous slums in Nairobi. Mm-hmm. Uh, one of the, uh, two of the biggest slums in the whole entire sort of Africa. I mean, the, I, I visited there, it's just, I mean, 
the kind of smells and the kind of what you see. I mean, it's just so easy not to feel in despair, right? Mm-hmm. Mm. So uh, on the one hand, that's what sort of a message of the prosperity gospel is. So it's really spreading so fast, right? On the other hand, right, there are so many missionaries try actually not to uh, sway them to the prosperity gospels, but it's re- they are having a really difficult sort of a time. Uh, because there is that sort of innate sort of uh, attraction to these kinds of message. But what distinguishes actually prosperity gospel in Africa from, for example, uh, those who follow prosperity gospels in the United States is that a lot of some, I mean, substantial part of those who follow prosperity gospels in the United States, they are in middle class. Mm-hmm. Whereas uh, those in like the uh, Philippines, Africa, Ghana, or Uganda, or you know Guatemala, uh, you know Latin America, the vast majority of them, those followers of uh, prosperity gospel, they are in abject poverty. So um, that's the situation. Yes. Sir. I, have two, I have two thoughts. <coughs> One is that whether well, we're not living in poverty, but whether we're in poverty or we're people who are struggling with addictions or mm. struggling with family conflict, often people will come to the church out of their desperation right. for transformation. Right. So that may right. be mm-hmm. a particular transformation that they're right. hopeful for. Yeah. Whereas, mm-hmm. and, and, and I understand that the prosperity gospel <coughs> has a lot of holes in the promises. Mm. But I'm, I'm also, I was looking at the earlier chart, and you, mm-hmm. had, cor- you had corruption. <coughs> oh, oh, yeah. So yeah. I'm wondering how do um, missionaries, or how do we as Christians yeah. then look mm-hmm. to mm-hmm. strategize mm-hmm. Any, anything that material gifts that we can offer or support mm-hmm. <coughs> to... Um, be sure that it's not to be sure that it's being utilized. Yeah, right. For the well-being of the people themselves. Right. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Part of the challenge, actually, huge challenge, especially in Africa here, is that a lot of sort of a government that are majority Christians, they themselves are really corrupt, known for corruption. Yeah, and then briberies and all those sort of things are so. I mean, one of the really palpable sort of uh, things I felt there is that people don't have hope for anything mm-hmm. uh, because they cannot rely on foreign aid. They know that they don't actually, they don't want the foreign aid, but they also cannot trust their own government mm-hmm. because of the corruption issues. Yeah, so then, uh, then the missionaries are trying to actually create non-profit organi- organizations that can actually mobilize some fundings, but n- make sure that really funds are for what they're really doing, that don't get sort of funneled into uh, the different sort of a government yeah, corruption issues. Uh, the other thing about Africa is that, as you saw, the North Africa is mostly uh, you know, Islam, right? The southern sort of a sub-Saharan Africa is mostly Christian. So the other sort of a issue we can, we should maybe think about in terms of African Christianity is the religious conflict. I mean, mm-hmm. that's where you hear a lot of here the Nigeria, right? So and then Sudan, right? To the point that they had to, right, uh, split, right? Yeah, 
north and south, right? And all the and like uh, that's where uh, like Boko Haram's and other yeah. sort of uh, you know Somalia sort of uh, um, groups are sort of uh, uh, aiming to sort of a uh, target um, some Christian populations there. Ethnically as well, tribally also, right? I mean, so what happened in Rwanda in the 90s, right? All chance. That's actually among Christians. Yeah. yeah. So, um, so how does actually Christian identity then, is it possible to transcend these kinds of uh, tribal sort of, uh, uh, you know, uh, identities or, uh, or, sh- or should be, right? Um, in terms of how to really uh, live out their Christian faith. So yeah. far, have mm-hmm. there been areas, I'm interested in this map, mm-hmm. have there been areas where there has been some success? Like, so sad about Sudan mm-hmm. that even splitting the country mm-hmm. hasn't. Yeah. Nigeria also almost there. Oh, yeah. Nigeria mm-hmm. also. Yeah. That, you know, where is there been success in this um, mm-hmm. effort? Mm-hmm. You know? Yeah. Very, in Somalia. Uh, Somalia is now is mostly Muslim. Yeah, yeah, right. yeah, yes. yeah. So uh, Kenya on the uh, on the coastal regions, right? Also mostly uh, Muslim as well. So yeah, good question. Yeah, difficult question to respond. Yeah. So uh, sort of moving on. Sorry. So I'm just kind of giving you a sort of overview. So Latin America and, and so mo- I mean it's impressive, right? Mostly, at least. Official sort of affiliation is uh, uh, Christian, largely sort of Catholic, but there has been some changes in Latin among the Latin American Christians how they identify themselves. So used to be, okay, so shifting religious identity in Latin America. So you can see here those who are raised, eighty-four percent of the Christians in Latin America identify themselves as at least being raised as Catholic, right? But then, currently, it's a lot lower. And then, which means also Protestants now is actually, Protestantism is growing in Latin America. I mean, you hear from Dennis, and, you know, and Kyle, uh, and in the Costa Rica area, and so there's a growing sort of a number of Protestants in Latin America. Among those Protestants, vast majority of them evangelicals, right? And among those evangelicals, many of them identify themselves as Pentecostal or charismatic. Mm-hmm. Mm. And then, also as I mentioned, uh, a majority of them are involved in some sort of again prosperity uh, gospel sort of a teaching uh, churches. Again, uh, but again, the difference is that they are in ab- abject poverty as their uh, brothers and sisters and Africans, but what's sort of also different about how the prosperity gospel operates in these continents is that they also, prosperity gospel teachers, not only talk about, I mean, God, it's, I mean, my main problem with prosperity gospel is that they portray God as a heavenly vending machine, mm-hmm. right? Yeah. If you sort of uh, kind of put out some input Right, certain kind of prayer sort of formula, mm-hmm. right? And then you just name quote name it, name it, and claim it, right? And it will be given to you. Mm. So uh, it's like if you sort of a, it's, that's why you need to actually what give a lot of offering, whatever the mm-hmm. offering you can have to the church or the pastors, right? Of that sort of a church. 
Um, of course, we all know that the life doesn't work that way. And then, of course, there are a lot of disappointments, right? But then, because of the hope, someday maybe that the miracle will happen. But beyond that, uh, so people actually teach their actually budgeting, mm-hmm. accounting, mm-hmm. right? And they particularly teach African and Latin American men that they need to respect their wives. Mm-hmm. They should not go to prostitutes, brothels, right? And they need to clean up their lives. Mm-hmm. That's what they're also teaching. So which is actually a great thing, right? Yeah, and so uh, by the, what, what, they, what they mean by actually respecting women and their wives is that, right, you, um, uh, you have to be sober, right? You have to take responsibility for your families. Right. Yeah. Even though prosperity gospel crosses over at some point, it could mm-hmm. be providential gospel at some way because gambling and drinking and whoring mm-hmm. is not part of prosperity. Right, right, right. So, so there are there are the real sort of a life sort of a changing uh, uh, habits and lifestyles that they also actually teach. So that's a, I mean, a more positive sort of a, uh, engagement they actually having, especially with the surrounding sort of. A, um, um, yeah, uh, the neighborhoods and then uh, things like that. So uh, that's been also a positive factor. Mm. <coughs> now, and then many Protestants who were raised as Catholics, so these are the countries, you look at the U.S. Hispanics mm-hmm. right in the middle. Mm. And uh, Colombia, Paraguay, so a lot of sort of people are now turning to uh, Protestants, at least compared to Right, 50 years ago. Mm-hmm. And so, uh, so these actually graph shows a share of Christian adults who think religion, Christian faith, is very important in their lives in selected Latin American countries as of sort of. So look at okay, Honduras, Colombia, Ecuador, Brazil, and Peru, Bolivia. These are, that's where the lot of sort of Christian populations or more um, like a committed sort of Christians are. But they, these are also the places where a lot of, uh, yeah, a lot of political sort of uncertainties, instabilities, right? And also social, a lot of social issues happening, right? Mm. 94% yeah. Honduras, 8%. Yeah. Uh, That's and, amazing. Mm-hmm. Any questions or thoughts? Mm-hmm. I just think that that's mm-hmm. really powerful. Mm-hmm. That, like, obviously, every culture and community, there's there's like strengths and weaknesses, or mm-hmm. like like I right. guess like hurdles mm-hmm. to experience God and um, the body of Christ. But then there's also great strengths, mm-hmm. and I think that I don't know. I I don't envy living mm-hmm. in a extremely corrupt mm. governmental situation, but I do envy the faith that may or may not be very yeah. uh, a huge support mm-hmm. to people in right. a really hard space. Yeah, right. Yeah, and the kind of resilience actually the faith provides. Yeah. Right? Yeah. Uh, yes, Nikki. Um, I mean, we've been talking about this a lot, but I was just thinking about at, if, like as a pastor yeah. in abject, in a community with abject poverty, I would want to preach about prosperity, you know, or like, because I do believe that God has good gifts for his children, Sure. you know, and again, like, there's obviously abuses, and as Sarah said, holes in that story, but it is so interesting to think about all the different 
pastoral responses or needs. Right, right. Needs. Yeah. And then yeah. how do shepherds respond to those needs? And then yeah. how do you, how does communicating about the gospel change? Right. Based on those yeah. Needs? So what's really interesting is that, you know, for, for example, in the Lord's Prayer, right? Uh, Matthew says, forgive our debts as we forgive our debts. I mean, a lot of people actually translate that literally because that's their situation. Yeah, I mean, it doesn't, it doesn't afford them to spiritualize it, right? Because a lot of them are in debt. So the real forgiveness of debt is, that is really very strong, powerful I don't know whether you remember like uh, Jubilee 2000, there were a lot of sort of uh, some, at that time, in anticipation of a year 2000, mm-hmm. there's some Western sort of country, in, in the, including the United States, were trying to actually work on this sort of a, sort of a um, uh, global sort of a movement, that's the movement, Death right, yeah. yeah. Uh, mm-hmm. Unfortunately, it didn't uh, work sort of a, uh, yeah, that well, but it didn't get really materialized. Yeah. Yes. Was it the indentured servant in the culture that the Lord's prayer refers to? Or the prayer of Esau? Forgive us our debts, you forgive our debtors. What were the indentured servants at that time? Uh, that time there were slaves. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and then day so laborers. That's yeah. different than some, well, there's slaves in this culture too, but. Would that speak to them strongly in that culture? Yeah. Oh, you, that meaning the biblical culture or uh-huh. the, the so uh, so uh, there were a lot of sort of tenant farmers who were in debt. Mm-hmm. So that was actually a very strong sort of a message. That part of the hope is that Heavenly Father will actually forgive our debts as we forgive our sort of their and then the. There's sort of a level layers of like uh, those tax collectors who would actually collect the debt to the empire, right? Mm. So lots of sort of a you know so much burden from the taxations, right? So uh, which that was so considered to be a translate into this culture with the in, the debt better. Oh, so uh, that's a literally that's what that means uh, debt. So there are scholars among the New Testament scholars who prefer to actually translate that and rather trans, uh, rather than trans, trespasses or sin, they would want to actually use the literal sort of, yeah, debt. Mm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yes. Mm-hmm. Um, this is just a comment, yeah. but I know you think about this all the time and this was mind-blowing for me in college, but the fact that the majority of Christians not in North America or in Western mm-hmm. Europe, mm-hmm. but the majority of like Christian resources mm-hmm. or theology yeah. or yeah. worship or liturgies yeah. Yeah. like are coming and imported from the West. Right, right. So like who are some of your favorite African theologians? Or how do you think the church here yeah. do you have any comments on that? It's really yeah. a nice question, so uh, no, I, that's a great question. Uh now uh Given this reality, right, 67% of the Christians in the world live in Global South. Yeah. Only 33% live in the, in the North, right, uh, North African Europe. Uh, the importance of now shared leadership, mm-hmm. uh, in addition to, right, how we think about mission, right, uh, is very important, right? So 
it's, it's been so far who's the major voices in theology, right? Biblical studies, right? Oh, typically, right, uh, Eurocentric North American sort of uh, trained uh, theologians and scholars and so on. These days, last sort of particular last 20 years or so, there have been a lot of sort of uh, uh, um, um, change in at least in the attitudes among the scholars and then as well. So we need to listen to our brothers and sisters uh, if from Africa, Asia, Latin America, how they do churches. And then because of cult, Christianity always interacts with any particular, any given culture, yeah. mm, the shape of Christianity is a little different. Because now, imagine Africa and Latin America, Asia, uh, you know, why is a Pentecostalism particularly so popular there? Because it deals with what? Witchcraft. It deals with, right, all the, you know, the wor uh, power of this world, right? Cares and miracles, healing, right? Prophecies. I mean, compared to Europe and uh, uh, North America, uh, they, it's their worldview, right? And they remind us, right, that those in the global north, well, our context is a lot closer to the biblical context. Yeah. Isn't it right? I mean, there are so many, you know, uh, you know, uh, points about demons and right uh, and uh, exorcism and healing. They cannot afford to actually get to see a doctor. Mm -hmm. They really need miracle, mm -hmm. and God responds in that way. Yeah. I mean, there are so many sort of stories. Actually, even my dad actually uh, told me so many different stories of miracle when he was ministering to in China, right? And a, a person with breast cancer and a person with active Parkinson's and we experienced sort of healing and all those kinds of things. But uh, why do we not necessarily hear those kinds of stories not as often, maybe, as um, our mindset in the, uh, since, ever since the Enlightenment, we don't resort to any kind of, quote, supernatural forces. We don't explain the things in that way anymore, yeah. right? Yeah, so it's a very different kind of sort of worldview. So in terms of shared leadership and then uh, what kind of, we need to listen more to the theology coming from them, right? Uh, and then their experience of contextualization of the gospel, right? There's a tribe in Latin American culture that actually uses a guinea pig rather than lamb. Mm -hmm. As a sort of a symbol of the Christ, sort of Christ the guinea pig rather than Christ the lamb. Because that really suits their cultural context. Yeah. Right? Yeah. Yes. I think we have to acknowledge the role of colonization. Mm -hmm. Oh, yeah. And, yeah, yeah. And, yeah. And that's yeah, why so much leadership has Right, right. Yeah, thank you for really uh, sort of naming that. Right. Mm -hmm. Question about, like, within the Catholic Church, um, Francis is the first pope from. The Global world. South, right. You know, exactly. so he's bringing some changes because mm -hmm. pretty much all the popes were Italian. Right, yeah. Mm -hmm. I was just wondering if you see some really strong leaders from the Global South coming in the Protestant area. In Protestant areas, yeah, so a lot of sort of, uh, um, now, there is, this, when there was a Lausanne conference you know, for evangelicals, right, the, uh, in, that, was, that happened in 1980s, so 40% of the participants came from the global south, mm -hmm. right? 
and then the increasing number of uh, people are now participating from the global south. And the Protestants don't have, like, like Catholics have some sort of, sort of, there's a World Council of Churches, but it's sort of seen more as a, quote, progressive compared to uh, uh, sort of what evangelicals actually would like. So it, they don't have a sort of a good summit like mm -hmm. a Catholics, like mm -hmm. a Vatican II. 40% of the Vatican participants also came from the Global South in 1962. Wow. Mm -hmm. uh, so, and then, so we will, it will be very interesting for the Catholic Church uh, after Pope Francis, right? Uh, if there, the, his successor, whether his successor will be another one from the Global South, particularly from Africa, mm. yeah? Uh, or uh, um, now that we had a Latin American sort of pope, yeah, and Africa has a lot of uh, Catholic population as well. So, mm -hmm. so that would be a good sort of a, a thing to, uh, yeah, pay, pay attention to. Uh, now Asia, yeah, so a few minutes, but so this is China, South Korea here, Philippines, mm. yeah, Indonesia, and particularly Papua. Yeah, yeah. Uh, and then uh, so, uh, you know, little sort of Malaysia, Indonesia here, now it's southern India, and so this little sort of trip sort of in uh, China. Mm -hmm. This is interesting, these are Central Asian countries. Yeah, yeah. but uh, Asia uh, as a continent has the least number of uh, proportion of Christians, right? Mm -hmm. But uh, focusing on China, so this is the 10 countries in Asia Pacific with largest number of Christians. Uh, sometime in 2010, but this is the latest sort of uh, data we have. Now, Philippines, mm -hmm. uh, 86 million. Mm -hmm. Now, China, this is interesting. I mean, I worked on China. I've been to China several times, taught there several times. Now, 67 uh, million then. Now, right now, scholars, actually, mission scholars actually uh, think China is way more than 100, 100 million. Yeah, the reason why is because China requires any religion. There are five official religions in China, allowed religion. Buddhism, Taoism, Protestantism, Catholicism, and Islam. They all need to register with the government. So government registered churches reflect this, uh, and, uh, but many Protestant churches in particular are not registered with the government. Those are called underground churches, house churches, right? They are illegal, technically. But why are they not registering with the government? Because there are certain sort of limit. That means it's a communist country, it's officially atheist country, right? Mm -hmm. mm. So you cannot, the, the ultimate allegiance has to be to the communist party. Oh, so you have to take an oath of, it's called the three self-churches, government-registered churches, mm -hmm. right? So uh, it, uh, I don't know whether you have heard of the Brother Yoon or other many sort of a, a tremendous sort of a, um, Christian sort of a leaders in China. They're all underground, mm -hmm. non-registered with the government. And then you cannot, uh, if you are in the registered churches, you cannot preach from, for example, revelations. Uh, revelations of Roman Empire is actually portrayed as Babylon, mm -hmm. yeah. So and it, it uh, creates sort of a tension with again the allegiance issue, right? Uh, so uh, and your ultimate allegiance has to be to the communist sort of party. 
So uh, these are some of the reasons. And uh, interestingly, it's a Christianity in China. Look, this is the Communist Party membership as the years actually go by. Now say, look at 2013, 86.7 million. But how is the Christianity actually growing, Christians in China? Way exceeding. Now, that's why the President Xi in China has been persecuting Christians ever since he actually became the chairman. And then so, uh, like in 2015, it got worse and worse. By the time 2018, my mom and dad, they had actually organization, then uh, church sort of a, a leaders group, and hundreds of churches there in China, they are, the uh, missionaries had to withdraw from that from China, yeah, because of the increased sort of a persecution. Why? Because Christianity exceeded the number of Communist Party <laughs> members. Yeah. Helen, were there particular incidents in 1986 and 2000, Here? 2010 that, oh. that caused yeah. those acceleration? Yeah, yeah, and so accelerated, so that's just after the Tiananmen Square, uh -huh. yeah. uh, and then uh, Increase sort of a open sort of a market. Yep. China really, uh, uh, really, what is it? Uh, allured a lot of sort of a Western investment in the country. Opened uh, the border, right? A lot of sort of missionaries went there during that time. Mm -hmm. uh, and then uh, now it's this very difficult sort of situation. So we should continue to really pray for the Winslows mm -hmm. a lot. Yeah. Yes, so um, and uh, before we, uh, sorry. Oh, so uh, look at in China, I mean, in Asia in general, the rise of Christian persecutions mm. in Asia. So this lighter the color is, uh, well, uh, lighter the color is safer. The darker the color is more extreme mm. in terms of uh, Christian persecutions of Christians in these regions. Now, 2013, five years later, what happened? A lot more persecutions in. Uh, these countries, I mean, China, India, Pakistan, right? I mean, these, these numbers are, for, you know, top 50 of the most persecuted Christians in the world. North, North Korea is number one, the most dangerous country in the world for Christians. And then these, I mean, Pakistan five, India five, I mean, 10. And it's an increasing sort of a number and incidents regarding persecuting uh, persecution of Christians. So that's what, you know, and also, of course, in the Middle East as well, and parts of Africa, right? So that's where Christians actually really need to be careful. Um, and so just a couple sort of pictures. Is that okay? So this is, a, uh, I took students to 2016 to China, study abroad program. This is a non-registered, government-registered church. But they are actually praying the altar, and then from the outside, it looks exactly the same. Mm. But it's that's which is it's not. So it's a uh, government. I'm sorry. This is a government registered. Oh, okay. I'm so sorry. Yeah, this is the government registered church. Isn't that amazing? Uh, the, the, if you are uh, so government registered church, you can own the building, right? You can have worship service. You can even actually send someone to seminary, right? But if you are not right registered, you don't have any resources, right? But this is the non-government registered church. So you see that 2002, I was there. I mean, these, they are still uh, renting a space from the city government, uh, which is interesting, right? 
Uh, and a lot of young people. So after like a two-hour service there, and then afterwards we went to the Bible college group, and they said, this is a house church. And there are like about 60 people here. And this is yours truly. And then that's my dad. Yeah, uh, 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 and then the translators uh, there to college students, right? Um, uh, so this, uh, uh, I also went to Catholic Church. Then, then uh, it was 2015, 16. The Catholic Church in China did not have relation, any relation with Vatican. Yeah, until 2018. Now, yeah, they they have. So what's the issue? Remember, Catholic Church. Uh, you can actually, salvation is very much linked to partaking in the Mass, right? Eucharist, right? And penance, Eucharist, penance, baptism, all of these actually require whom? A priest. Mm-hmm. Huh. Chinese Catholic Church insisted that they have authority to appoint whoever yeah, qualified, whereas Vatican insisted, no, you need official approval from us. That's why they couldn't really, yeah. But since actually 2018, they sort of agreed, uh, you know, China, can, the priests actually in China can be ordained, but with the sort of uh, uh, like some uh, acknowledgement from the Vatican. Mm-hmm. Mm. Although the conditions in China for Christians are sort of uh, not, not good at this point mm, in general. Uh, so just a quick sort of a Christian population in the Middle East. So uh, Egypt has uh, about uh, 15 to 20%, right? Now Syria has actually, it's a little different. Uh, used to be more like uh, 15%, now it's about 10%. Look at Lebanon, more than 20%. Yeah, and also U- UAR and UAE and some other places. Um, but uh, for the, I mean, for maybe the last minute or so, I just quickly. So, so this is my dad. Sorry, my sort of uh, sharing sort of his mission. When we went to Bulgaria and teaching uh, the group of uh, Bulgarian seminarians last year, last uh, summer. So these are all Bulgarian seminarians. They are already pastoring their churches. Bulgaria is in Eastern Europe. Bulgaria is the uh, most impoverished nations among the EU countries mm-hmm. in Europe, in Eastern Europe, right? And many of actually the Christians in Bulgaria are Roma people. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Uh, yes. I heard of a huge mission to, uh, it was Pentecostal, I think. Yeah. To, uh, to the Roma people. Yeah. All light and light, which is only interesting because we know. Right, Roma. right. Yeah. So, and also the same thing, true. Now, in Europe, most churches are really struggling. Right, I mean, it's, a, it's sort of below sort of a growth, right? But the kinds of churches that are growing are Pentecostal slash charismatic. Yeah. Mm. So in Bulgaria, it's also Pentecostal among the Protestants. Of course, the official sort of uh, you know more like cultural sort of a religion is Orthodoxy, yeah, yeah uh, Bulgarian Orthodox Church, yeah. But many of them are very cultural, mm. and then they don't acknowledge Protestants many of them as uh, of, uh, Orthodox Christian sort of religion. 
So that's there a little bit sort of a time. So this is my mo mom who also actually taught this. So uh, both of them have seminary degrees uh, from Methodist Seminary. And then, uh, so despite her some challenges, last year, I mean, she was a lot better than this year. Uh, so anyway, she was teaching Gospel of John. I cannot find my own sort of a teaching <laughs> sort of a fine. Uh, and then when we actually were invited to, this is the new church building they built. Bulgarian Christians, Roma Christians, we had to drive four hours from the capital to get to this place. And then they were so excited uh, that and all the neighbors are actually there. It's a sort of a huge ceremony. Mm. Um, and also another sort of Bulgarian, Roma Bulgarian church in Sofia. Uh, they live in the ghetto. Uh, about a million sort of Roma people live in this ghetto in Sofia and then there is a, a surf, I mean, as you can see, there is no projector, but everyone knows the word of the singing, lyrics. <laughs> I mean, they are singing how long? For an hour, yeah. for an hour. Okay. From kids to elderly people, but they all know the songs by their heart. Yeah. It was so moving. That's what yeah. people do when they mm -hmm. don't have hymnals. And then, I'm uh, sorry for, yeah, this, so this summer, the, my dad was also teaching other uh, the, uh, the other sort of a seminarian sort of there, and one of them actually this pas uh, this pastor um, uh, also became a church planter uh, as a result last year uh, summer uh, as a result of that training, uh, and then his church now has more than two hundred people, wow. yeah, in new. Uh, Bulgarian sort of capital. Is the um, going back one picture? Yeah, yeah. Is that the guy on the far right, the guy who translates from Korean to Bulgarian? Right, yeah. And <laughs> he also, he's also very fluent in English as well. He grew up in Bulgaria. He's the son of a missionary there who's living there for 33 years. Wow. Yeah. Wow. So, uh, and then this is Laos. Mm -hmm. So uh, these are the graduates of. Uh, uh, again, the Bible sort of a school that mom and dad, my mom and dad sort of a, uh, provides like a three, three months sort of a, uh, intensive training for biblical studies, theology, right? Uh, when I was there, church history and those kinds of, I mean, reading, interpreting the Gospels and uh, Bibles. So um, they are there, very young. This is in Thailand. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So uh, lots of, particularly in the northern China, Thailand, Chiang Mai, lots of uh, revival have been sort of uh, happening there. So uh, even uh, there are 65 new churches in the last five years uh, uh, through the, um, the graduates actually of this um, the, the Bible school that mom and, uh, my mom and dad actually has been working with. How yeah. did your mom and dad and you stand up in the world of Korean missionaries? you got to be out in the top. Uh, so, yeah, they, they are very great. They have a great network of people wow. Yeah, uh, they work with and then, uh, yeah, the mission, local missionaries they work with. Yeah. Uh, so, and this is in Kyrgyzstan. Uh -huh. So, wow. church planting, yeah. So, uh, he's a missionary who's been living there for 25 years. Uh -huh. Yeah. And so, uh, and then there, I don't have other pictures, but Uzbekistan, Kyrgyzstan, mm -hmm. right? And then Kazakhstan, the right? Yeah, all the Stan countries in Central Asia, yeah. Uh, and the, I don't know whether I have last picture. Oh, okay. Oh. <laughs> so, it's not, I'm, I'm the, yeah, sorry. This, this is in San Diego, Oceanside, but uh, not part, yeah, I don't know why I included this picture, but anyway, so. 
<laughs> well, any further questions or thoughts Ooh, or wow. comments? Wow. Yeah. Yeah. Sorry, this is sort of a quick sort of rundown, but yeah, so hand um, and then, yeah. This isn't a very distinct or like completely formed question, but mm -hmm. I guess as we as American, as the American church, mm -hmm. are there any ways that, especially if you're like teaching American Christians mm -hmm. or students how to relate with their brothers and sisters mm -hmm. globally, mm -hmm. is that prayer, mm -hmm. is that like going to be with them, is that mm -hmm. joining in like mm -hmm. service, mm -hmm. what does that look like in yeah. a way that is, yeah. I guess like, seeing ourselves as brothers and sisters right. that are equal in status mm -hmm. and have equal amounts to learn from each other. Right, right. Yeah, so uh, I, right, I mean, I think that's very important. So, I mean, some people have, right, some qualms about the short-term missions, right? Mm -hmm. uh, oh, that's more for those who are participating, not necessarily for the people. Uh, you know, wherever they are, but I think without those kinds of opportunities, it's very difficult to foster, right, or nurture that kind of interest and desire to actually observe, right? Uh, not to try to, I mean, because, especially because of the history of colonialism, right? Uh, not to impose, right, or kind of to give, right? Rather than to really listen and observe. And uh, that kind of opportunities, I think, uh, personally, is important. And then, um, and so in those opportunities, we need to really make sure that we are going there to serve, right, to learn, rather than to, yeah, lead or, yeah. yeah. Um, yes? Questions just on the number of Korean missionaries. Mm, yeah. I was really surprised. Right, right. When we were at RVA, 20% yeah. of the students were Korean. Yeah, right. So they, yeah. Their, their parents were out there serving all over Africa. Yeah, exactly. Right. So the United States sends the largest number of missionaries in the world. South Korea uh, uh, is, uh, are Christians, mm -hmm. but they send the either second or the third largest number of missionaries in the world. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Now, part of the reason is because Korea, unique history of a Korean mission is that Korea is a self-evangelized country. Mm -hmm. There were already Christians uh, spreading the word evangelism amongst themselves before the missionaries actually went there, which is very unique in particularly in Asia. I mean. China, Japan, they all had right, the Western colonial powers are trying to yeah. kind of uh, press them to open their doors, right? Uh, but not in the uh, uh, situation for Korea. And then during the Korea, when Korea was colonized by Japan, their colonizer was not a Christian country, yeah. but non-Christian, you know, uh, Shinto, so Japanese sort of country. So association of Christianity was not with colonialism. Mm -hmm. mm. But uh, it's, uh, more of a sort of liberation, right? Yeah. Uh, autonomy, right? Uh, from that kind of quote oppressive sort of a yeah. regime. So that's another sort of a very interesting, yeah, yeah, mm -hmm. yeah. I, yeah. I've at least had friends who have said, like, on the mission field, saying, mm -hmm. like, as a white Christian from mm -hmm. America, mm -hmm. I am so much less effective mm -hmm. than my brothers and sisters who mm -hmm. are coming from yeah. Korea or the mm -hmm. Middle East yeah. or Latin yeah. America yeah. because yeah. there isn't that baggage of right. colonialism. Right. They're 
message with their with their culture with their right. with their experience right right so and also uh, Brazil also sends a lot of missionaries as well and Africa as well um, different countries in Africa so just one story when I was in London uh, about 12 years ago and then I was that was on Sunday so I planned to actually attend the St. Paul's Cathedral yeah uh, but uh, uh, so, but then as I was actually walking to the tube station, right, the subway station, I heard this really loud and fantastic, really attractive music coming somewhere. So I tried to follow, and then I went and followed the music, and then it turns out it was actually Nigerian diaspora church. Wow, amazing music. It was so huge in the auditorium. And then I ended up just staying for that service and then learned that there is another sort of a, that's what they call the satellite church in North Carolina. (laughs) Yeah. So, and they were talking about the missions in the secularized Western world. Mm, Yeah. So that was very... London. Yeah, when I was in London, 2012. Yeah. Great. Yeah. Oh, sorry, Kate. Yeah. Yeah. I was gonna ask, and Hannah kind of touched on this for a minute, but like when we're talking about the prosperity gospel being so popular Mm. in countries with abject poverty, Mm. um, but also the difference between like um, like where where there's a struggle to kind of like locate or center voices, mm. um, like theological voices mm. from the global margins, mm. like, would you say mm. part of the problem with the prosperity gospel mm. being popular in those countries is that it, would it be accurate to say that did originate in the West? Uh, Whereas, it, like, they, yeah. like, liberation mm-hmm. theology mm. are mm-hmm. indigenous mm-hmm. to the global South? Yeah, 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 good, good question. So, uh, these many uh, prosperity preachers in Africa and Latin America, many of them actually uh, came to the U.S. as a student, and then they were part of all, right, they attended all the Benny Hinn uh, ministries, or uh, Copeland, Kenneth Copeland, Mm -hmm. right, or um, uh, all this sort of, uh, or Roberts, and you know, and then they they learned uh, some those kind of schemes, right, uh, and then they went back and then sort of contextualized their uh, uh, message, right, in, in their context, right? Uh, uh, you know, there is a church in Brazil, it's also a prosperity uh, church, but has a whole stadium and that has a sort of a number of politicians uh, in, in, by that church's name. Mm. Uh, uh, now, in terms of how to really then work with prosperity gospel people. I mean, again, since uh, prosperity gospel is also contextualized with some aspects, positive aspects of which I've shared with you, right, early, um, I I think we cannot necessarily just kind of dismiss that or Mm -hmm. criticize that and then move on. No, that's because that's what's working in their context, right? Mm -hmm. So, but then the what other uh, people are trying to do or you know, uh, prosperity gospel or talking to them is how to really, can, can we uh, bring in a little more liberationist? Yeah. Uh, so mm-hmm. there's some prosperity teachers, and for example, in Ghana and Uganda, they're teaching their congregation about their African pride. Mm-hmm. Mm. Uh, wh- how they should be more independent from the foreign aid. Mm-hmm. Mm. 
So, and then uh, in addition to teaching them budgeting or you know, uh, those kinds of uh, practical sort of uh, issues. So that's to an extent, right, because liberation theology, which actually started from the Latin America, is not necessarily well received among the evangelicals. Mm. Mm. That's the sort of concern. Uh, so, but can you still bring sort of uh, that kind of liberation message without necessarily having the, quote, the baggage of uh, uh, the classic sort of liberation theology? Uh, so uh, there have been those sort of uh, uh, efforts mm, mm, uh, through the missionaries and other uh, some indigenous sort of uh, uh, teachers themselves. Mm. So great questions. Thank you so much for your attention. And how can you say a word of blessing? Okay, sure. Yeah. Gracious God, we are so grateful for this opportunity to, to learn uh, a little bit about the global church and how you are moving in this world, uh, making your presence and activities known to all uh, these people you have created for, uh, in your image. Pray that, Lord, that we, you will con continue to instill within us the desire to uh, learn uh, and know more about what you're doing in our global neighbors, brothers and sisters. And then you will also help us uh, what, uh, to understand and know and do what are the ways that we can participate in your kingdom building work uh, in, uh, through this brother, works of the brothers and sisters, and particularly in the global south. We thank you for this opportunity. In the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, we pray. Amen. Amen.